it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. Ken? When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on, Chris? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? Almost as famous for, for his Facebook trolling as he is from his wrestling years. General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and... Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Killer, you guys are busting me up. (laughs) And I don't think Hollywood's ready for Malcomania. Bubble White Soup. The bigger you are, the harder you fall. This is Larry Zabisco, wrestling's living legend. VOC Nation Radio, worldwide. VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, Bruce Word, Killer Ken Resnick. And this is the final show before we launch our reformatting. So we're going to a brand new format beginning next week where we're not going to take calls anymore. And we are going to do one year at a time, starting in 1983, looking back at the best of each year in professional wrestling. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Killer Ken and I, uh, but I do want to remind you that this week, this show is brought to you by MyBookie. Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor, super contests, and squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all of your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your favorite team trounce their rivals. Rejoice! It's time to celebrate the NFL season. And the NFL season starts this Thursday. So invest in your intuition. Use promo code VOCNATION and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play. That's right, $1,000. Designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Again, use the promo code VOCNATION, all one word, and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. 
So today, I want to look back at an interview we did with Malia Hosaka. So Malia Hosaka is one of the pioneers of modern women's wrestling. She uh, was on the forefront of the current style, which is more matches than uh, just looks. And she broke into the business during that Attitude Era, right before the Attitude Era time when wrestling was more just TNA. And I loved her stories about working through some of those challenges. And you'll hear a very interesting uh, snippet about a conversation with a WWE road agent where the road agent just couldn't believe why she wanted to wrestle. They had men for that. They didn't think fans wanted to see women actually wrestle. So this is a great interview with Malia. I think it's very timely considering some of the challenges that we're facing in society today that have risen to the top of all of our minds. And I invite you to sit back and enjoy this interview Ken Resnick and I did with the very talented Malia Hosaka. She's actually appeared in every major American wrestling organization uh, known to uh, mankind. I was going to say man, but it's not appropriate yeah. in this case. Uh, we have the WWF, the WCW, LPWA, ECW, TNA, and it's the lovely and talented, the, the, the lady that seems to have found the fountain of youth, Malia Hosaka. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for having me. But, you know, you also left out that I am the shortest reigning NWA women's champion. Yes, I did. Well, see now, that. Malia, when, when you say that, you know I, I'll be in trouble if I don't say, and you are currently the longest running steel domain women's champion. That's right. Yeah, we, we asked, if, if we didn't get that in, we'd have some friends that would be really, really uh, hot at us. Uh, and it, it's true, Bruce. You you referenced it. Uh, I first met Malia in 1990 with the LPWA, and I, I know people won't believe this compared to the Malia of, of today, but back then trying to get her to say anything was kind of like <laughs> pulling teeth, and she has definitely gone 180 degrees, but the, the you know, every once in a while they, we throw out the terms legendary, but the fact, Malia, that 30 years you are as active today as you were in, in 1990, and for fans that aren't familiar, I can attest you know, there are some people, you know, that will still wrestle and, and um, independents that have been in the business, you know, 20, 25 years. And if they take a bump, it's breaking news. And Malia's taking the kind of bumps today that she took 30 years ago. So I want to know, was it on one of your flights? Where exactly did you find that fountain of youth? And do you have some that left that I could drink? Yeah. Because you are yeah. amazing. <laughs> I, like I said, I just found that if I stop, that's when the pain hits me. Like, this this whole COVID mess has had me out of the ring for several months now, and my back is hurting, and my neck is hurting, and my knees are hurting, and I'm like, what the heck? So, yeah, if you just don't stop, it can't catch you. So I just kind of keep going. Well, in fact, Bruce... Interesting, we're talking about this whole COVID. Since it, it happened, 
I have gone out to eat in just one restaurant the entire time, and it was to have lunch with Malia. Right. But and, <laughs> and, and back then, we thought we were on the backward end of it, and who would have thought? Yeah, right, exactly. You know, don't even get me started on this because I am so over this whole COVID mess and everybody's up in arms about it. Like, it's not a death sentence, so just stop it. <laughs> yeah, you, so, you know, I, I, listen, on, on that point, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's such a polarizing the, – the, the whole shame of it is, and, and I'll, I'll get off this soapbox in a second, but this disease has become a political tool. And the, the, the really sad thing is, is that it seems like there are some treatments out there that mm-hmm. I think are being suppressed because uh, Big Pharma is very influential in our government. And, you know, there's no money. Why waste something like this if you can't make some money on a vaccine, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I'm I not Alex Jones. Actually, this but... morning on the news that they are that they actually do have a vaccine. They said that. It's not 100% um, guaranteed that you won't get it, but it's looking very promising, and it's in, going into phase two, which is great. But you know what? Just freaking start stabbing people because I'm sick of it. Just give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Malia, <clears throat> yeah. we we talked about b- before the break and, and you coming on <clears throat> briefly how the the – LPWA back in 1990 was really the first all-women's wrestling promotion that that treated it as wrestling versus more mm-hmm. of the kind of entertainment we see today. But even back then, can you have ever imagined that it would be a women's match that would one day main event WrestleMania? No, I mean, I mean, I'd always hoped, but here's the thing, like, um, didn't Stephanie and Lita main event WrestleMania, or was that another big WWE thing? I think, I don't um, think that was a I WrestleMania. Mean, it, it wasn't a WrestleMania, it was just a pay-per-view. It, it wasn't, I, I don't think it was a, a main event match. I'll track that down while you guys are, yeah. are, yeah. Uh, are talking, but I, I don't think it it was a, a main event. I, I, I think it was really the the first women's match that got a huge push. But I think right. there was, you know, it was almost more like the semi wind up. Uh, right. But it was a, a, a big <clears throat> pay per view. But Malia, talk about <clears throat> how, in your eyes, women's wrestling and the way it's viewed has transformed over these decades? Well, I mean, when I came in, I had my veterans like Leilani and Judy and, and Debbie and Luna. And, I mean, these weren't like – I mean, yes, in in their day, they were very glamorous girls. They were very, you know um, – they stood out for, for who they were in their day. But when I was coming in, we were transitioning to a smaller frame, more petite type thing. But we also were fighting Glow because Glow was out there making fun of women's wrestling. And then, so like, you got the stereotype going of if you were cute and petite, then you couldn't wrestle. You were just a joke. But if you were more of a, a larger girl, then, yeah, you could be taken seriously as a wrestler. And I think that was a really hard, hard thing to fight. 
And then after OPWA, you know, wrestling was kind of on a, on a nosedive then going on a downhill slope and it kind of went away and, and became that closet thing that everybody watched again and nobody really talked about it. It didn't really gain momentum again until I think what the mid nineties when, um, Turner came out with WCW. Um, and then it transitioned from there on into like a, a TNA. Like I, I got told, why do you want to wrestle? But I wanted the WW, then WWF road agents. Um, why do you want to wrestle? Nobody wants to watch the girls wrestle. They, we have men for that. And I was like, I can't even believe you're asking me that. I said, I didn't have a career on the independence because I'm tits and ass. I had a career because I could wrestle. People didn't fly me all over the world because I could do a bra and panty match. They flew me because they knew they were going to get a quality women's wrestling match out of me, as well as those that I was in the ring with. And um, he was just, like, confounded over the fact that, you know, anybody around that era would, would want to watch women's wrestling because, I mean, that's what the men were for. You know, Malia, we'll kind of get into, you know, what in a little bit what's come out in the last few yeah. months. But right. talk about how hard was that for you and some of the other women wrestlers to, to not only kind of, you know, go through that, I guess, you know, almost being insulted, but also how difficult was it for you personally and, and those you knew to stick with it when, as you said, after the LPWA, it it, it, it kind of went into the, you know, VHS apartment matches right. and things mm-hmm. like that. Well, I mean, it was really hard. Um, but as I said, the, the good girls out there, they stayed busy. And I was fortunate enough to be, you know, after LPWA, Debbie Combs took me under her wing and, I, I traveled with her quite a bit and she would get me bookings and then, but the girls kind of went, we even prior to LPWA and after the demise of it, the girls always kind of had their territories. Like even though the territories were gone, they weren't gone for the girls because your independent promoters weren't necessarily of a, of a station where they could fly in girls or they were going to fly in girls. They wanted the local talent. So like you had Peggy Lee leather and Bambi running the Georgia area, then myself and Luna Vachon and Penelope Paradise kind of had the Florida area. Um, the Glamour Girls had South Carolina. Debbie Combs and Kenny Devine had the Tennessee area. So, you know, we all still had our own little territories, and we didn't really cross over into each other's territory um, very often, unless we were invited in by one of them for the most part, because, you know, it, that's just the way. I don't If it was respect or if it was just the fact that we couldn't go in and undercut each other. We just had that much. We wouldn't go in and undercut each other just to get the work. Um, Malia, just um, Uh uh, on that note where, so you mentioned those territories that existed and, and Uh the, I guess, few amount of women that, that were in Uh those territories was, was women's wrestling really just an attraction? Was it looked at as just an attraction back in the territory days, you know, one match and, you know, the ladies would tour together and then you maybe you mix it up and, and switch territories? You know, in the true territory days, I don't – I think the women were advertised as a special attraction. But I believe that there were actual storylines and there were actual feuds. I know that w- when I got in, it was after, you know, watching Luna Vachon get her head shaved on NWA 
uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. And I remember Mad Maxine being there and stuff like that. Um, But I came in on the tail end of that where those territories were really falling apart and the cable was starting to emerge and the big two were starting to come out. So I was kind of in that transition period. So for that type of a territory, then yes, you know, we definitely had like storylines and we were booked not necessarily as a, it was a special attraction, but at the same time we were a mess on the show. Like our, our matches carried from show to show. They had a story that went with them from show to show. So not necessarily promotion to promotion, but definitely show to show. Like if I got booked down in South Florida, I didn't go down there and wrestle Penelope and Penelope win every week or I win every week because it it just really didn't make sense. So we would switch it up and Luna would come in or uh, sometimes Luna managed Penelope. And then, you know, sometimes uh, back then Luna was also with the Blackhearts. I mean, there was, there was a huge transition of, of everything going on back then. And I think, you know, Peggy and Bambi pretty much, beat the hell out of each other all over Georgia's thing book. But it was that that realism of the fact that when you saw those two get in a ring and go at it, you got entranced in what they were doing. And you weren't sitting there picking it apart. You were like, holy shit, she just knocked the hell out of her. Um, because they were good. They, they were amazing. And they went out there and they just gave the fans their all. So you know, it, it just kind of depended. I don't know if I really answered that question because I ra- ramble a lot and I see a rabbit and I chase a squirrel. Um, <laughs> no, I, well, th- I think you about... hit, hit... Yeah, go ahead, Kat. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Uh, you hit go the ahead. Spirit. No, you hit the spirit of what I was asking. I, I think yeah. uh, you, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. And I ramble yeah. too, so it makes fun. Yeah. <laughs> Malia, yeah, ahead, a little Kat. insight. How it, is it easier... When you're no, you're not a one-off match. When you're going to be developing a little storyline and, and, and maybe be back two or three times, versus coming in somewhere just getting booked as as a one-off. How is that different yeah. for you psychologically? Well, I mean, it, it honestly it depends on the company that I'm going in for and who I'm going in against. Like going in against. Went back then, Debbie Combs and Leilani and all of them, even if I was just going in for a, a one-time shot type of a match and there was no guarantee of a future booking or a future show, I knew that I was going to win. Uh, win. I was going to learn something from them every time I stepped into the ring because they were out there teaching me and they were showing me the craft and the art. Um, in today's generation, for me, it's harder to go in on a one-time shot if I'm working with a, a real green girl or a rookie because I feel like I go in there and I only impart a little bit of what I know. And I think, like, a lot of them, a lot of the girls, they try to be really respectful, but at the same time, I'm sure that a lot of them also feel that I'm dated. Like, okay, well, that, you know, the, the – like they don't get out of the ring going, oh my god, that was amazing. So much as I didn't get to do all my all my really cool stuff. But I don't. If I went back month after month with that girl and I ran a story, then her really cool stuff would get done. But she would start to learn to do it in a way and in a manner that it made sense, and so that when she did do it, it meant something to the match and to the people watching it. So they wouldn't just go, ooh, ah, for the whole match. They'd be like, holy cow, she did this amazing thing, and they would remember it. Because I honestly think that if you ask the majority of your fans today, they're like, 
Um, and I, I'm going to be honest, I don't watch wrestling um, because it's not entertainment to me. It's, uh, it's so much choreograph out there anymore. I'm not sucked into it. Um, but I'm just going to throw two names, Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair out there. And I'm going to say if you watched a match between Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair and everybody's like, oh, my God, it was amazing, it was amazing, amazing, you go, okay, what was your favorite part? Well, all of it. No, what was your favorite? Like, what, what moment in that match did you really, like, what moved you about it? And they can't pinpoint one specific point because so much stuff was done from the beginning to the end that they didn't di- really digest any of it. it. It's like, you know, watching the over-the-top explosives in the movies, it's like, you don't rem- by the end of it, you don't remember the first explosion because there were 75 of them, you know, and they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But, you know, but it was really cool to watch. Well, what was the coolest one? I, I can't tell you. I didn't have time to really digest that. I know, Malia, Bruce and I have talked a lot. <clears throat> to, to me, the biggest difference, and you were exactly right, in the old days, the, the glory years, there was almost as much psychology of a match as there were high spots. And I right. said today, as you said, that it's just one move after another after another that they don't give the fans of today who probably are not familiar with what wrestling was in the 80s and 90s, they don't even get a chance to really become invested in the match. Exactly. There is, and there is no bad guy, there is no good guy. It's Everybody's doing really cool stuff back and forth, and it's, you know, it's amazing. And don't get me wrong, I think these these kids today are tremendously talented because there's no way I'm jumping off the top rope four rows back doing a double moonsault in the air or whatever it is that they do. It's just not going to happen. I'm an antique and I break easy. So it's, you know, um, but (laughs) at the same time, when you do that, like, seriously, what do you follow that up with? Okay, like yeah, that was that was an amazing thing. You you just jumped off a balcony onto the floor. The guy caught you. It was amazing, but that wasn't the finish. Well, here, here's what, and 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 I love that you said that, Malia. And I, and I got to ask both of you this question. And Ken and I actually talk about this week after week. But that's my problem with it. And and Malia, I think it's not just that those high spots happen more often than not. But they happen on the undercard matches. So what do you do? You said, how do you top that? But right. when you're doing that in the second and the third match, how do you have a, a main event where people are still engaged and they still want right. to watch TV? That's, that's the problem. Exactly. That's why the product is suffering. Yeah. Right. And, and so I call it the art. There is an art to wrestling. There is an art going out there and telling – just like actors have their art and stuntmen have their art and the BMX super uh, crazy people that do all that crazy riding and flipping and flopping in the air on their motorcycles and bicycles, there is an art to what you do. And you can either choose to learn that art and, and become the best with that art that you can, or you can say that art is dated and we don't want it and this is what we're going to do because everybody wants instant gratification. Well, when you keep giving everybody instant gratification – eventually there's nothing left. Like when you're starved, that first bite of food that you take is going to be the best food that you have ever had because you're starving. The more of that you get, the less it means. So by the time that you're full, it, maybe you were eating some really crappy food and you realize it now because you were full. Well, that's it. Like 
I'm not saying the wrestling's crappy, but when you give everybody everything in every single match, they're full of it. It's like you said, how do you keep their attention? Like, oh, well, we saw that. Oh, we already saw that. Oh, well, they did that better in the last match. You know, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't. <laughs> and one of the things that, that really bothers me, it, it's like suddenly outside interference Back in the day, even in, in the LPWA as we booked, the only time we wanted that is if it was about to, to build a major angle or to do a, a major turn from face to heel or, or vice versa. And now it's like it's the default position. Like, well, if we don't beat anybody, we're not going to damage them. So we'll just, you know, some outside interference and we'll throw it out. Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor, Super Contests, and Squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice! It's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your institution. Use promo code VOCNATION and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code VOCNATION, spell it out, VOCNATION, all one word, and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. That okay, so this is my other thing because in working with a lot of it, I've started doing some tag matches again. And every time I sit down and I, I and we start putting a tag match together, the other team's like, Well, I'm gonna run in and take her out because she's why would I stand there and let my partner get beat? Um, why because it only takes three seconds to lose a match, like, well, I don't, I don't get why at the pinfall of every single tag match the other two partners have to get into it. Like, why is somebody trying to run in and make a save, and why does the other person have to cut them off all the time? It, it, it makes no sense to me, because it, at some point you're making the referee look like a jackass because he doesn't actually disqualify anybody. So at some point he, he should be going, that's it, you're all disqualified, you're done, get out, I, I've told you. Because there's only so many times he can say, get out of the ring, get out of the ring, get out of the ring. And then, you know, it's like, you know, displaying a child. There's only so many times you can say, I'm going to spank you before they realize, well, nothing's going to happen, so I'm just going to keep doing it. It, it, It's it's almost like today the, the, you know, because the the kayfabe era is over, common sense or believability is just out the window. Right, well, that's my other. So, yes, believability is out the window because nobody wants – well, first off, none of the bad guys want to be booed. So everybody's about, you know, who will follow me and how many, how many followers I can get because I can get some free stuff if I get all this, these followers and I do this and I do that. Um, so nobody wants to be hated. Um, but beyond that, it's – I don't know how many times I've listened to people go, well, you don't do that because if it was a real fight. Hold on a minute here. 
I'm showing you how to do something safely, and you don't want me to do it because if it was a real fight, well, I got news for you. If it was a real fight, I'd just punch the hell out of you, okay? I, just, like, I didn't need Luna Vachon to prove to me that she could kick my butt. I knew it. If I wanted to do real fighting, I would have done real fighting. Well, let, let me let me just say, knowing you, if it was a real fight, in most instances, I'd bet on you. So I I might get my butt kicked, but I'm a scrapper. You're gonna know you got in a fight with me, and that's it. Like, but I've got no shame. Like, if you kick my ass, I've got no shame in that. I fought. I got my butt kicked. I'm still gonna say what I want to say. Like, I think I posted that a few weeks ago. So I, yeah, I'm gonna run my mouth, say what I want to say. You want to fight me? Yeah, I'll say it tomorrow with two black eyes. Um. <laughs> you know, I, I stand behind what I say, and that's and how I feel, and I'm I'm very strong in my convictions, and and that's just the way it is. And if you want to fight me over that, that's fine. I'm probably going to make fun of you, but it's okay. <laughs> you, you know, Malia, you, you alluded to something, and Bruce and I have talked about a little in past shows where so many of the, the talent today they don't want to be the heel, they don't want to get booed. No. And you would be, I think, just great insight. And you mentioned it earlier, even back to the LPWA. You know, in the locker rooms, booking, putting the matches together, it was kind of like it was forefront on everyone's mind to do whatever they could to build the business, whereas you talked about, I mean, especially like Judy Martin, Leilani Kai, I, they went out of their way to to help and teach and, and pace matches for the business, for the promotion. Do you think today with the money involved that that, that has kind of gone by the wayside in the locker rooms, that it's more of, you know, more about me than the business? I don't know that it's the money involved as much as it is the egos involved. I mean, I, I, wits, I witnessed the egos when I was at WCW because, again, LPWA, it was a different – and I don't know how I, – I, I only worked for the Florida Championship and some of the other offices that were around at the time um, very briefly, and I wasn't privy to a lot of the goings-on. But, like, LPWA, from what I can remember, when it was time to discuss what you needed from our match – we went to you. We went to the office, and we sat down and we talked about it, and you told us what you wanted. Well, when I was with WCW, I watched bookers and the writers go to Hogan's dressing room, and then they would leave his dressing room, and then they would go to Sting's dressing room, and they would leave his dressing room, and then they'd have to go back to Hogan's dressing room because it, it's egos. Like at some point in time, somewhere along the line, wrestlers became th- this – I'm the greatest thing, and, and you've got to bow to me. And I don't see that because I don't care who you are. You are replaceable. Like, there's none of us out there that are not expendable. I mean, it, Vince has proved time and time again that he can make a star out of somebody if he really chooses to do so. Um, but I just don't, I don't understand giving, especially not your top talent, because then they've got you over a barrel but giving your talent the power to hold you over that barrel, to give your talent the ability to say, I'm not going to do that. Because it, it makes no sense to me. I, because you're, you're here for me. I am paying you. So therefore, you need to do what I need you to do. Um, it's my understanding that 
uh, Impact just took their title back because the title holder didn't want to do what they needed them to do. They didn't want to drop the title. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it would certainly fit. But, you know, I just – I at what point in time do did wrestlers become the ones to dictate how the story goes? I mean – we're supposed to carry out the storyline. We're supposed to give the promoter what they want because if that story doesn't fly and we give them what they want, then it's not on us. It's on the promoter. Well, that was a crappy story. I do what's good with it, you know. But now if you give me a storyline that you think is going to be amazing and I go, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm willing to do that. And you bend and change around. Now all of a sudden it's, it's a piece of crap. Well, now I'm to blame, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you you're to blame because you gave me a piece of crap story, even though I changed it completely from what you wanted. So yeah, you, know, you mentioned uh, so just to follow up on on that. So you mentioned you know the WCW locker room with the the big egos, and and that's famously the problems with WCW was creative control mm-hmm. and the inmates mm-hmm. running the asylum, but. And right. you were there during the peak of WCW, but you were also right. in the WWE during the peak of their run in the Attitude Era. What was the difference like yep. in the locker room? And uh, and talk to me about that well, that run that you had there because so, I mean, it seems well, like it was cut short. Uh, well, right, well, you know, the main difference was WWE paid me to sit home and do nothing. Um, <laughs> but it was <laughs> WCW. I wasn't really viewed as talent i don't think i was viewed as the girl that would come in and do whatever they needed them to do i didn't argue it i didn't rock the boat you want me to lose medusa i'll lose to medusa you want me to lose to akira i'll lose to akira i didn't it wasn't ever about winning or losing and my career has never been about winning or losing it's about going out there and doing the job that i'm being paid to do to the best of my ability um the only time i ever spoke up at wcw was when they went out there and they had me wrestle Shigusa Nagaya as Zero, and she actually wanted to take a couple bumps for me, and they said no. And they literally, it was like, I literally think it was a three-second match. And I told them after that that I, I have no problem putting anybody over, but there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And what they did to me was completely 100% wrong, and that I have a career outside of their company, and I cannot jeopardize that career if that's the type of matches that they want to put me in. Um, because there's a hundred other girls out there that would be happy to go up there and do it, but I'm not, I'm not one of them. And, you know, I was Paul Orndorff I spoke to, and he was very uh, of understanding about it and stuff like that. And, but yeah, it just, it, yeah, it was kind of the inmates running the asylum. I mean, I was, I was just really surprised at the amount of power that everyone there seemed to have when they were in the upper echelon of the levels to control what they were, would and wouldn't do. And then going over to WWE, um, I really wasn't there. That I mean, I was under contract for a year, but I really wasn't in the locker room to, to experience a lot of the politics that went on um, because initially I was supposed to be Poppy Chula's manager. Um, they decided Lita better fit that um, position, and right. they put her into that position. Which it, it, totally fine, and and going with what they did, absolutely. Um, Lita absolutely fits that position a lot better than what I. I, I if you tried to make me look like a, a ghetto hood girl, it would just never happen. I'd be like, yeah, that's just 
that's 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 like a country western Japanese chick. It just they don't don't it doesn't mesh well. Um, but did, didn't you sure. have weren't, weren't you didn't they have you in like a Rocky Balboa type you know they from out of the crowd? Initially. They did initially. Yeah. So that was kind of my debut thing was that they had me pose as a fan and come in and attack I or not really attack Ivory. She challenges everybody. I come in. And then I try to back out of it, and Ivory slaps me, and then I attack her, and then Nicole Bass beats me up. Um, right. But their their mindset was nobody's going to know who you are because you've never been on our TV. Even though at that point I think I'd been in the business about 13 or 14 years, and okay. I'd already been on WCW's TV. But, right. Okay, whatever. Um, again, I'm the type that if this is what you want, this is what I'm going to give you. And – I will do exactly what you want me to do. So because I didn't make any suggestions and because I didn't speak up, um, I did it. And five minutes after I did it, it was all over the Internet who I really was. So now all of a sudden I can't be this anonymous fan, turn wrestler, turn whatever. Um, So I just kind of got paid to sit home for a while. Um, They had given me my contract at that point. But I hadn't signed it yet. I didn't sign it until they contacted me and told me that they had another character for me, which was Aphrodisia, managing Poppy Chulo, blah, blah, blah. I signed it. I flew in. Um, that week, Poppy Chulo didn't make it in. And then the next week, they decided that Lita better fit that bill. And that was the end of my extent of what I had for WWE. I pitched another idea, which they later gave to Molly Holly in a modified uh, storyline, but I wanted to be the Dudley sister. I thought, you know, um, Ivory had this idea because the women's division had become such a joke to bury the women's belt and make this god awful, hideous belt that basically um, the loser of the match had to be the women's champion, not the winner. And so you know, the game, like, where you look at each other and, like, you, you make your fingers in a hole, and whoever does it you gets caught, you hit them or whatever, but something like that where. Whenever you do this game and you're, you get caught, you have to do that other person's specialty type of a match. So, like, if Stacey, um, oh, what was her name? Lawler's girl. But, anyways, if she would have gotten it, then you have to do a bra and panty match. But if Ivory would have gotten it, then you had to do a wrestling match, that type of a situation. And I said, well, make me the Dudley sister, and, and I'll be too dumb to know that I, don't, I shouldn't be proud of the belt. So when I get it, I'd be like, look, I'm a, I'm a winner. I'm a champion, and I can be all proud of it. And then Ivory can go dig up the real belt and say, no, honey, if you want to be a champion, you've got to come after the gold. And here the women's division would have been reborn, and it could have gotten some you know, notoriety as not being TNA, but actually having to have talent and come back around to women's wrestling. Um but like I said, that in, instead uh, they released me and then uh, brought in the Holly sister. You know, Malia. Before we run out of time, <laughs> we, we've talked about you know how the, the women's wrestling has really uh, taken center stage and is viewed kind of now almost on an mm-hmm. equal footing with the men. But in the same time, in the last few months, there's. Uh, kind of been a, a a dark side of what a lot of the women have had to go through to get there. Uh, talk a, right. a little bit about that. All right. So as far as a dark side of what the women have had to go to get there, um, 
I am one of those weird females that I don't believe in the director's chair. I believe that you have a choice. It might not be a choice that you want to make, but you have a choice. If the choice that you made was to sleep with somebody or provide sexual favors to somebody in order to preserve your career, to further your career, to keep your career, whatever it is, that is a choice that you made. Um, And so, no, you were not abused. You were not taken advantage of. You were not – no, you were an adult, and you made the choice to do those favors instead of making the choice that your career could suffer and saying no. Because there are plenty of girls out there that have said no, and and whether they've made it or not is – neither here nor there. It's just the fact that I know that there are girls that have said no and there are girls that have said yes. And you can't go back on that. You can't, you don't have a right to, in my mind to go back on that. Now, that being said, yes, there are also, there was a period, especially in the WCW, WCW heightened era. So I'm going to say late nineties, um, where for whatever reason, and it wasn't just in wrestling, but I think it was like society all around, it became cool to like drug a girl and date rape her, like drop a roofie in their drink and then just take advantage of her. And I really don't understand why that became so popular. Like if you want that, there's a morgue, go to the corpses. But I just don't, um, yes, in those situations when, when you wake up and have no memory of the night before, or you were in a situation that you did not be in like that, then absolutely, that is a dark side. You have a right to speak out. You have a right to stand up and say, no, what you did to me is wrong. Um, If you were in a domestic violence type relationship, you absolutely have my my backing and my support 100% to stand up and say, this is not acceptable. I need help. Um, Or or to warn other girls, hey, this person is – is very um, controlling, they're very physical, they're very, you know, I don't want you to get caught in that same type of a situation. Um, But, uh, you know, there's a huge difference between an actual victim that has been raped or a a victim of domestic violence versus somebody saying that they're a victim because, oh, so-and-so said that if I did this, they would help me get that. Um, that's not a victim. That's somebody that took an advantage of an opportunity that was put before them because that's what they wanted to do. Um, but And then that goes on to, to me, when you're in a relationship, whether it be heterosexual, homosexual, and both of you are wrestlers, it is more likely to become physical at home because your partner sees you in the ring wrestling, I'm just going to say intergender because I'm so against intergender, but they see you out there doing intergender matches. You're in the ring training with the guys. You're taking forearms. You're taking hits. You're even taking them from your, your spouse or your partner in the ring during training or in a match. And now at home, you expect that line to be drawn and it not to be crossed. Well, you've already blurred that line because you've been in the ring doing this. And I'm not by any means condoning domestic violence, but I'm saying that by doing intergender matches and by putting girls in there and with guys, I don't care if they're the same size or bigger or smaller or whatever, by putting guys and girls in the ring, you are saying it's okay to hit a female. And I don't, there's no other message behind that. Yes, you can, the girls, the feminists can stand up and say, oh, but look, we're empowered. We're so strong. We're equal. But that's not what the guys are getting out of it. The boys are getting out of it that the girl's tough. 
I can hit her. It's okay if I knock her on her butt. It's okay if I do this because she took it. She took it last night. So there's no reason why she shouldn't take it from me at home. And I, intergender just sends the wrong message to everyone, whether it's Joe Redneck in the hills or little Jimmy who's the son of a doctor sitting home watching wrestling with his dad. It sends the wrong message because women should be treated as ladies. Don't strip down naked in front of me in the locker room. Don't strip down to your underwear in front of me in the locker room. I expect you to treat me like a professional and like a lady. When you need to change, say, excuse me, I need to change. I will give you your privacy because I respect you and I want you to respect me. I am not some piece of trash in the back that you get to look at because I strip down to my bra and panties or I strip down naked and I don't want to be disrespected that same way. And I don't want to be in the ring and have a guy hitting, hitting me so I show that kids it's okay because I can get up. It's not. I, I'm a very clear, there's a line you don't cross. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I know Bruce and I <laughs> talked about it. I, I never thought you know, WWE for a while, the two big storylines were infidelity and domestic violence. And yeah. I'm kind of like going, huh? But right. I know <laughs> Bruce were... were up against it, let me ask one final thing, and then uh, you can close it out. M- Malia, nobody better with everything where wrestling, you know, entertainment, uh, what's going on in the country. Where do you see wrestling going, both uh, men's, women's, independent, in the next couple of years? W- what are you hoping for? Um I Well, I'm hoping that it's all going to come back and, and keep surging forward because I was a part of WOW, and WOW was just getting its foothold going. And, you know, I would really like to see that take off and, and really go somewhere. Um, but, unfortunately, I think wrestling is going to suffer just like a lot of the entertainment and travel industries are suffering. Um, I think it's going to take a nosedive because you can't have the crowds in there together Um up against each other you can't have people the the large numbers that they've got out there because everybody wants the social distance well if everybody's sitting six feet apart yeah it's it's great because we're social distancing but but look at the cameras like when you when you pan to the crowd it doesn't look like you have anybody there why because they're all seated six feet apart um and then the whole mask situation you know Facial expressions are a huge part of it, and that adrenaline that you get, and I think all professional sports are going to suffer from it for the simple fact that you get energy from the fans that helps you go out there and perform and work through pains and cramps and, and, and things that happen while you're performing that you don't notice when you have that energy, whereas when you don't have that energy out there, and you tweak something, all of a sudden you realize it in the ring. You're like, oh, wow, and now you, and now you pull back. Um, so I, I really, unfortunately, think the industry is going to take a nosedive. I think it's going to go uh, – the ratings are going to go down. The fans uh, attending events are going to go down. It's going to hurt the independents, and there are a lot of good independents out there. Um, hopefully it puts the bad ones out of business. Um, and hopefully the good ones can hold on enough with the fans that they do have. But yeah, it's until this COVID is under control and people are no longer panicked about it and thinking that if they get it, it's a death sentence. Um, it's all of entertainment and professional sports is it's going to be devastating to them. Yeah, I, I, 
Yeah, it's uh, right. it's going to be interesting to see how how things come back if if they do come back and and I have a bad feeling we're going to go through. I mean, this was already kind of a down period in wrestling. Right. AEW had just started to you know mm-hmm. re re engage interest and in, and everybody mm-hmm. was excited for a, a Wednesday right. night war, but. I mm-hmm. think uh, I think you're going to see a real tough time and maybe get back yeah. to the mid '90s in terms of popularity yep. before things get better. Sadly, I think so too, and I think you know um, it's not even the mid '90s, maybe even the early '90s when there just really wasn't a lot out there to choose from. Um, right. But you know, I I hope that it doesn't go that far back, but I do think it is going to take a downhill slide. But the plus side to it is maybe if it takes that downhill slide. It'll reset some stuff. It'll reset some mind frames. It'll reset so that when it starts to build again, um, it'll have a little bit more art and psychology and a little bit slower paced because you can't go out and do the things that these kids are doing every night for five people. You just yep. you can't. You can't go out there and do it for 10 people, for 60 people. You know, don't get me wrong. I will give you 110% no matter how many people are sitting out there, but I've managed my entire career not to go into a cage match. I'm not going to do a cage match for five people and no storyline. It's just not happening. Um, sure. It, you know, because there has to be on my end, if God forbid something happens to me where I, it's my last time stepping in a ring, I want to know that it was worth it. Um, and that's not worth it. And I, that's Is another this- mindset that these kids need to get through. Is this Malia Hosaka or is this Jim Cornette impersonating Malia Hosaka? I'm not sure. Malia, we're, uh, we're well, over time. So... That might be one of the best compliments ever. <laughs> the Jim is, uh, is is outspoken, but but he's on point in a lot of a yeah. lot of things when it comes to wrestling. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're out of time uh, for Ooh. for the interview at the show, but this was uh, such a fantastic. Uh, conversation with you, and and you have so much to uh, to say, and and I think your mind is is uh, a lot to offer for the business. I can't thank you enough for coming on with us. No. I saw some of the comments during the show, and I think the fans appreciated yeah. it as well. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was my pleasure, and and thank you for having me on. I mean, I'm really honored. I'm glad Ken reached out to me, and it worked out. And hopefully, you'll have me back sometime. Oh, any time. That's that's a, a, an understatement, and uh, hopefully uh, either the, there'll be a, a show in Minneapolis, or you'll get to town so so we can do lunch or dinner again. Exactly. Hey, I look for those Minneapolis layovers. Don't think I don't. So as soon as I can get a long enough one, I will let you and, and everybody at SDW know because I miss all you guys. Uh, well, we miss you too, sweetie. And thank you again <laughs> yep. for for coming on. You were no. you were wonderful. Thank you both. I appreciate your time. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists, and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOC Nation. 
Since 2012, HIC Talk Radio has been bringing you the best of independent wrestling and wrestling on the worldwide scale with interviews and other segments now featuring the Wrestling Historian with Craig Legon every Thursday night at 6 p.m. at VOCNation.com or go to your Android or iPhone and type in VOC Nation Radio Network and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcast today. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. And, of course, In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at vocnation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. The morning after, right here on the VOC Nation Radio Network, Brady Hicks and... Homeboy Rap Boy here. I tell you what, we got a good show right here in the afternoon at 12 o'clock. Eastern Standard Time on the VOC Nation. Talking wrestling, football, news, whatever's going on in the world today. VOCNation.com. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week, Wrestling With History. We'll be back next week. The podcast will drop on Wednesday, and Ken and I will review the year 1983. That was the start of one of the greatest professional wrestling periods of all time. It was the beginning of the birth of Hulkamania. So we'll set the stage for the 80s, the 80s wrestling boom next week right here on Wrestling With History. So for Killer Ken Resnick, I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. We'll be back with Wrestling With History right here worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means Survivor, Super Contest, and Squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice! It's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your institution. Use promo code VOCNATION and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code VOCNATION, spell it out, VOCNATION, all one word, and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie.